Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Bean Dad. The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Media. Welcome to It Could Happen Here. I'm your host, Mia Wong. I am happy to be here once again with Garrison Davis and Dr. Julia Serrano, the author of, among many other works, a new edition of Whipping Girl coming out in March. So, kind of pivoting a bit, one of the really bleak aspects of being trans in a hostile world is that we've We've effectively been forced to become experts in the architects of our own extermination. And I think that's a lot of what kind of the new afterward to the upcoming 2024 third edition of Whipping Girl is about. So I, I guess I wanted to ask, what do you see as the biggest shifts in sort of the struggle for trans liberation between the end of the sort of Mitchfest, like fighting over Mitchfest era that you wrote, like Dream Witch, you sort of wrote the the second uh, the forward, the preface to the second edition, and then the stuff that's happening now as the sort of third edition is coming out. Sure. I think a huge aspect of trans activism, uh, from my perspective of like first coming to trans communities in the 90s, a lot of 90s and zeros era um, trans activism was overcoming basically people's ignorance, their their lack of awareness about trans people. And so... And, and this is one of the things that, you know, Whipping Girl, for example, there are a lot of bad ideas about trans people that have been circling, lading for a long time, especially with the culmination of Janice Raymond's book, The Transsexual Empire, in the 19, late 1970s, 1979, I think. And that influenced a lot of people at, say, places like Mishfest that had trans women exclusion policies. And I felt like 
during the 90s through the zeros, we were constantly making gains. That was largely due to people learning more about us and then recognizing basically shared goals, shared things in common. I think that trans people are marginalized because of you know, mainstream assumptions about sex, gender, and sexuality, and those assumptions also hurt LGBTQIA plus people more broadly. They hurt, you know, in a sexist world, they hurt, you know, cis women, you know, all women, all people who move through the world perceived as female and feminine. So we all have this kind of shared yeah, thing that we're working towards. And I feel like that was where a lot of the progress was happening. And I think what really changed in the mid 2000s, tens, especially the year 2015, which is literally the year after the so-called tipping point, Time Magazine declaring the transgender tipping point, was when it was the beginning of what I would describe as organized anti-trans activism, where it wasn't just that people didn't like us or they detested us, but it was where there was actual coordination um, between different groups in, in the afterward, I describe there's the social conservatives and far right who have always been anti-LGBTQ+, who took um, an even uh, more intense focus on trans people. There were groups that, um, at the time that I wrote Whipping Girl, the term TERF wasn't around or the term gender critical wasn't around. Now we would call them gender critical or trans exclusionary feminists. They've become kind of a part of that and both those groups working together in a lot of ways on policies. I think one of the things that the average person might not know if you're not like like really in, in kind of highly aware of trans communities and issues is that probably behind the scenes, the anti-transparent movement has probably made more of an impact than any other group. And they are very much like the anti-vax parent movement where... It's a lot of people who are, you know, from their standpoint, they're just concerned about their children. They want what's best for their children, but they actively seek out and often get involved in, you know, websites, social media forums, and sometimes actual activist campaigns that that buy into a lot of ideas that uh, of children being indoctrinated into gender ideology or being infected by social contagion. And there's all this pseudoscience that, that grows out of that. So I would say that that was the main difference, that there was this organized campaign and this campaign has just grown and grown and grown to the point now where it's just this astoundingly large moral panic that um, the types of things that like 30% of people in our country believe about trans people is abhorrent. But that's kind of how it played out. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been a lot of a lot of very common weird pseudoscience myths that sort of came out of that. I wanted to talk a little bit about quote unquote rapid onset gender dysphoria because that's been all over the place. I mean, there's like a New York Times article talking about it like two weeks ago, and it's I don't know, really been a fiasco, especially given how unbelievably tenuous the the stuff they sort of faked or not as they faked like uh, unbelievably tenuous the like quote-unquote study they did that got retracted was yeah and this is something that i actually 
um, saw developing firsthand and then did research on in 2019. So let me frame this. I'll, I'll tell like my personal, uh, a short version of my oral history of this. So it was around 2017 that I first heard the idea of, of children, you know, becoming trans because of social contagion. And it just seemed to come out of the blue and it's like, what? <laughs> you know, it's gender identity is not contagious. Um, if it was like, you know, trans people would have infected way more than like the less than 1% of us <laughs> that, that actually exists. Not, not a very effective contagion no, as far as like, contagions go. No. Yes. 30% and rising, like, no. <laughs> like, yes. 1%. Yeah, exactly. It's like, once you start looking at it, it seems kind of ridiculous. A lot of it was because, well, you know, you know, my kid was hanging around a trans person who started watching trans videos on YouTube and now they're trans. It's like, yeah, well, maybe they were hanging out with that trans friend and watching the YouTube videos because they are trans and they just hadn't come out yet or they're just they're still figuring it out. Anyway, so in 2018 is when the Lisa Littman paper on rapid onset gender dysphoria came out and I wrote this essay at the time talking about all the things wrong with it. And then in 2019, I'm like, where did these ideas come from? And I should say that rapid onset gender dysphoria is basically transgender social contagion wrapped up in a medical sounding diagnosis. Okay, so if you read the, the initial descriptions of transgender social contagion and the description of rapid onset gender dysphoria, they're basically the same. It's that kids are infecting one another, but um, the idea of rapid onset gender dysphoria was meant to describe this quick infection of transness that supposedly was happening. And so in 2019, I, I basically did a deep dive. I'm not an investigative reporter, but that's kind of what I did into like where the origin of this was. And basically all of this kind of came down to the website Fourth Wave Now, which often worked in coordination with two other anti-transparent websites. So Fourth Wave Now is an anti-transparent website, arguably the very first one that, that came out. And a parent posted the idea that her child was like being infected by transgender social contagion. And it's almost definitely clear now. I will leave a little caveat, even though I think the evidence is pretty strong, that that was Lisa Marciano who's an uh, anti-trans therapist, who's very, very involved in anti-trans activism right now. Okay, so, and like, all everything points to that being her. And she also seems to have, in some capacity, worked with Lisa Littman. The, so basically, the first paper about rapid onset gender dysphoria that came out was not Lisa Littman's, it was actually Lisa Marciano's. Um, which came out in 2017. So it basically kind of grew from these anti-transparent websites. It really quickly, within six months, not only was Lisa Littman doing her survey, Lisa Littman being someone who has no experience in trans health ever before then, just decides to go in and to only survey parents from, an anti, from three anti-transparent websites. And it gets taken very seriously just because the, the media fanned the flames a lot of these groups were very excited to have something that seemed to be a, a case study on their side. The paper was heavily critiqued when it came out. There are now, and I describe this in uh, an online essay I have, it's free. If you Google my name and all the evidence against social contagion, it's in there. There are now 10 papers that have tested 
the idea of rapid onset gender dysphoria and or social contagion and found evidence uh, that contradicts the hypothesis. So it's still being talked about that Pamela Paul it was an op-ed that looked like an article yep. in the New York Times. It's not the first time Pamela Paul and or the New York Times has done this. Yep. Um, they seem to have a, um, a particular axe to grind against trans people and putting out specious articles suggesting that gender-affirming care, um, especially for trans youth, is bad, um, when actually all the evidence points to the opposite. So, so yeah, that's a, a brief um, discussion of rapid onset gender dysphoria, which I think is the most popular of these kind of pseudoscientific ideas. But there are definitely others. There, there are like about like four or five others <laughs> that I could get into and I do get into in the afterward and in some of my other writings. But uh, yeah, and, and you know, th- I don't use the word pseudoscientific lightly. Basically, there's like science, which is where different research groups try to answer a particular question. And if they all get similar answers, then that becomes, okay, well, that seems to be established. Now let's work from there and ask more questions and do more studies. Junk science is when you do kind of a crappy study that doesn't really interrogate all the possibilities that either doesn't use controls or, or you know, only looks at you know, a bias sampling size or a bias sample um, or small sample sizes and comes to a conclusion that it wants to come to. That's junk science. And then pseudoscience is when multiple independent groups all find something different to what you're saying, but you keep touting the thing you're saying is science. And that's definitely where RGD is right now. Same thing with one of these ideas that I talked about way back early in Whipping Girl, and I've written other th- you know, both academic papers and online essays about um, this concept of autogynephilia, yeah. which is this really what? old theory that just like it's <sighs> kind of like this zombie. It doesn't matter how many groups find evidence to the contrary. Contrary, it it jibes with what basically certain you know gender disaffirming practitioners, practitioners and researchers and anti-trans activists. It it jibes with what they want to say, so it just kind of continues to be out there so yeah yeah i mean something that garrison we were talking about before this is the extent to which the extent to which the the rapid onset gender dysphoria study is almost exactly the same study as the first anti-vax study like it has it has almost exactly the same it's the same thing where you you find a group of people who think their kid has autism because they got vaccinated or you find a group of people who think their kids are trans because social contagion or something and then you ask them about it and then you report the results of the study and it's like, well, now and you report the results of you asking the people the thing that they believe. And now it's a study. And it's it's I don't know. It, it drives me insane. The extent to which it is literally exactly the same thing. Yeah, I mean, that was something. So I didn't know this until uh, H Bomber guy who's a yeah, YouTuber yeah. who does really Great good video. investigations and video essays and uh I saw his autism. And so this is something that, you know, I remember I'm old enough to remember the Wakefield paper being in the news. And then you hear lots of people debunking it. And then it's officially retracted. And basically all, you know, the scientific field has settled that it's like vaccines do not cause autism. A lot of that is is just like a coincidence of the time that you first start noticing that children may be autistic is like right around the time after they've had vaccinations. 
but but yeah, it wasn't until the H. Bomber guy video that he talks about that the Wakefield study is a study of parents, not the children, yeah. a study of the parents, and the parents already had were already suspicious of the vaccines, and so they said, oh, well, it happened right after they had these vaccines. Um, just like rapid onset gender dysphoria happens, oh, it happened right after, you know, one of my yeah. child's peer, their cheer, peers came out as trans. It's like, yeah, maybe they're connected. Maybe that's why they're good friends. You know, most of my friends, you know, like when I go out and stuff like that, you know, a huge chunk of my friends, way higher than the average person, are trans people. Yeah. And it's not because any of us infected each other. It's just that you have that thing in common. You also really importantly, when you're part of a stigmatized group, being around other people who won't stigmatize you, often because they're a part of that same group, that can be really freeing and really supportive. So yeah. Yeah, so we need to take another ad break. But when we come back, <laughs> there, there will be more. I don't know. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really kind of blowing the ad pivots on this one. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. 
freeze, Americano. Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. So, I guess, speak, speaking of moral panics... Speaking of social contagions... <laughs> <laughs> yes, moral panics are always very socially contagious. <laughs> yeah, it's really, truly... Really, truly, they, they, they have described their own ideology and they projected it onto everyone else. Uh. So what, one of the things that you talk about both in the afterward and in Sexed Up is about the relationship between stigma and contagion and how it's this powerful, incredibly powerful force for mobilizing moral panics. Can you explain sort of how that works? Sure, yeah. So, um, and this was something that when I was first working on Sexed Up, it wasn't kind of my idea. I didn't think I was going to write about the concept of stigma that much, but it really ended up being very central the more kind of research I did into it. And so I think most of us are familiar with the idea of stigma in terms of like feeling embarrassment or being made to feel lesser than other people because of some aspect of your person, right? And there is that aspect of it that's often called like felt stigma. But then there's the way that other people view stigma, right? And so, you know, people aren't necessarily stigmatized in that way themselves. They might view people who are stigmatized um, in particular ways. And one aspect of stigma that uh, I, I learned a lot of this from uh, psychologists, uh, I think it's Paul Rosin. I know the last name is Rosin. And uh, also Carol uh, Nemiroff. And they, they both worked together and they had other colleagues who worked on this. But a lot of this comes from this really unconscious idea of contagion that seems to be, it's like pan-cultural. It's just kind of a way that people tend to view the world. Kind of like a lot of people in a lot of cultures have essentialist views. Contagion is, is sort of along those lines. It's often described as a type of magical thinking. And the idea is if something in your mind has this contagion, if you get too close to it or you interact with it, it can like permanently corrupt or taint you. And so it has this kind of contagious like property in people's minds. And so people often view groups who are stigmatized, especially groups that are highly stigmatized as essentially contagious, where that stigma that they have could rub off on you if you get too close to them. And so this happens like when when I was really young, the idea of like if you were friends with a trans person, a lot of times people or even someone who was gay back then, um, people be like, oh, so what are you? You must be gay, too. Right. It's almost as if that stigma would then like kind of migrate to you. And that's a lot of why stigmatized groups face a lot of ostracization um, in society. And so, so this idea of contagion has been around. I think groups who are lesser stigmatized, one of the ways that that plays out is their viewed as less contagious. So, you know, when I was really young, the idea of if you had a trans person in your life, people would really question you. Whereas by the time I came out, you could have a trans friend and that would be fine. It wouldn't necessarily be contagious. Unless, of course, you were interested in them and then that stigma yeah. would, if you were like, 
attracted to them, then there's that stigma. And I think that stigma plays a lot into kind of dynamics of, and I write about this in Sexed Up, that the whole idea of like fetishes and chasers and all that, that's basically all this stigma, the contagion stuff playing out in different ways. Anyway, so uh, I also think that, and I write about in Sexed Up, I think people view sex and stigma as really closely intertwined such that I think people view, the average person views heterosexual sex as a stigma contamination act where the male is the corrupting force and it's the woman who is corrupted by sex, which is why, you know, virgins are pure. But then once a woman has sex, she's like, you know, she's become contaminated or tainted. And if she has a lot of sex, then people view her as like ruined, right? So, so that idea is built in there. And I think this combination of viewing sex and stigma is kind of intertwined leads to the sexual predator, the sexual predator stereotype that we're seeing play out in really strong ways with trans people right now. But actually, if you look throughout history, like a lot of marginalized groups, like deal in different ways with the sexual predator trope. And so I think this really clearly plays out with the, the kind of what I call the groomer explosion that started in 2022, where you know, people were accusing trans people of being groomers before then, but it really exploded in 2022. And if you listen to what people are saying, that they're they're using the word groomer, which sounds like a sexual predator thing. Like there's a real thing of grooming children that sexual abusers do, but they're using it against trans people in a way that has nothing to do with that. But what they're talking about is corrupting. You know, so their children who are presumed to be cisgender. Um, and who often, I think this is why a lot of these anti-trans discourses continue to paint like trans children as being girls, right? Like, cause then it kind of plays into these feelings of like, you know, transgender people are the adult men corrupting young girls. It plays into a lot of people's view, like messed up, messed up heteronormative views of sex and, and fears of you know sexual abuse child abuse being a very real thing but people greatly misinterpret it so that the people who are the usual perpetrators which are usually you know by and large straight men who are like adults who are close or sometimes even family members of of the child in question but like when they say grooming they just mean corrupting or contaminating and I think that both grooming and social contagion, I think both of these basically play off of this stigma contamination idea, right? The kids are pure, but then transgender is like a type of cooties that if one kid becomes trans, then they spread it to the other kids. And so, yeah, and so I, I feel like it plays a really big role, not only in moral panics, which almost all moral panics are, there's some kind of corrupting force that is often attacking otherwise pure and innocent children. Um, sometimes it's technology, right? And so people will be like, oh, we have to ban, you know, social media apps, you know, because it's hurting the children. Or it could be transgender people who are the things we need to ban because they're corrupting the children. But I, I definitely think that both these ideas of stigma and contagion play a big role in the way in which moral panics why they resonate with a lot of people, even though they don't make 
any rational sense um, if you just think about them kind of <laughs> from a very realistic, yeah, practical point of view. And we have to go to ads, but we'll be back in a second. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. This is something that you mentioned briefly in the uh, afterward, and that's something that we've reported on, is how a lot of this groomer thing that started in 2022, and a, a whole bunch of this kind of modern wave of transphobia is mirroring a lot of the anti-gay stuff from like the 80s uh, that was pushed forward by a lot of like evangelicals and into just like mainstream conservatism and, and specifically how it functions as this, yeah, this is sort of like moral panic and even social contagion, the way the, the way uh, homosexuality was treated as as this thing. And 
this this sort of social contagion aspect is so common now. I mean, even even the way we, we we've already alluded to Musk, even the way he mentions like the woke mind virus is 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 is, exa- is exactly this thing, and as it relates to like moral panics and stuff, right? This, this this was kind of predated by the critical race theory debacle, uh, which then got you know turned into the groomer thing. And yeah, it's now, now the DEI thing. Yeah, exactly. And and now it's even changed again. And these moral panics can have like devastating results in terms of pushing forward legislation that outlasts the actual moral panic. But the actual things themselves are very short lived. They, they don't seem to have very much like staying power as 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 uh, like cultural moments. They they move on so quickly. Like no one talks about critical race theory anymore. You don't even hear this sort of groomer rhetoric as often as you did uh, two years ago. It's, it's being replaced by new versions. And yeah, like Mia said, the DEI thing is the, is the current current thing that is wrecking American society, uh, if you ask about maybe one third of the population. But yeah, it, how do you feel about like the life cycle of these moral panics and how they relate to like the social contagion aspect? Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I agree with what you're also, all, all the, the things you're citing that like, I think these are all different variations of kind of the same idea. And I do really appreciate the idea of the woke mind virus as being kind of like the perfect, like the exemplar of this <laughs> yeah. in that, yeah. you know, people were, you know, people were complaining about, you know, stuff being woke for a while. And, you know, it it is usually it's often coded as something that's woke is like anti-racist or, you know, is something like it's very much associated you know, infused with, like, when people complain about wokeism, a lot of times they're, like, they're racist. <laughs> or yes. or they're, um, or yeah. at the very least, they have fears about kind of the corruption of pure whiteness being corrupted by increasing, you know, people of color and, and you know, like, making gains in society, right? But the woke mind virus, because no one could really explain what woke is, because then it keeps shifting and it refers to trans people, or or critical race theory and etc. Yep. And the woke mind virus yeah. is like perfect because that's how they think it all works. Like it's just this thing that infects people, especially children, and the way in which there is a recent thing just today. I think it was Ackerman, the billionaire, who's been involved in a lot of this DEI stuff, um, complaining about his child being infected in college with Marxism. And Elon Musk had similar issues with his trans daughter, like becoming pro-Marx or anti-capitalist. And so they just assume that like, no, my child was pure, but now they're infected. It's like, well, maybe there are other ideas out there that are better than your ideas. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> maybe that's all it is. But, but yeah, so I think in all of these cases, yes, I, I think that there's this idea of a contagion or corruption, often involving children. And it is, yeah, a lot of the moral panic, a lot of the literature, like the social sciences literature on moral panics, they often describe them as fleeting. You know, this one, the anti-trans one, isn't fleeting enough right now from my perspective. But people will tend to kind of move on, like the satanic panic of the 80s, you know, like that was a really big deal, and then all of a sudden it was just gone, and no one ever talked about it again. I think the difference here is that a lot of these moral panics are really tied together with what's happening in the country more generally with 
anti-democratic um, and authoritative, you know, views coming from, you know, particularly the the right wing of the country, you know, like one of the two major political parties is really pushing a lot of um, just generally across the board, you know, they're against feminism, they're, you know, against people of color, against LGBTQ plus people. And I think it's all wrapped up into the same thing. I think that while individual parts of the moral panic may go away, they may talk about critical race theory for a bit and then shift to trans people being groomers, then shift to DEI. Um, but I think a lot of this is, they're all intertwined. And actually, I think that's like the last couple paragraphs of the afterword. I talk about that as a potentially good thing, because even though it's been a harrowing time to be a trans person with all the anti-trans legislation and all the anti-trans news stories, um, all the pushes back on gender-affirming care, despite all that, I think the good thing is that I think there are clear sides here. And I think while this wasn't true early on in the anti-trans backlash in the like late 2010s, um, I think most people realize now that all these things are tied together from like kind of the, you know, the right wing perspective in this country is just against all these things. You know, they want a white Christian straight minority of people running everything about this country. And so I think the rest of us really need to recognize that and work together to defeat that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's a pretty good place to end on. Do you, uh, do you, unless you have anything else that you wanted to make sure you get in? No, I mean, I feel like we touched, we, we covered a bunch of the book past, present, and hopefully future being better than the present <laughs> right now. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully, yes. <laughs> so, okay, where can people find A, the new, uh, the, the new edition of Whipping Girl, and B, you and your work on the internet and or other places? Sure, yeah. So the book should be available. So it's available for pre-order right now. So you can do that through like, you know, online places. I often suggest people go to the uh, Seal Press, my publisher, because they give lots of options there. But you can also go to your local independent bookstore and say, hey, I'd like to pre-order this book, and they will do that for you. So the book will be available everywhere and should be in stores starting in March. Um, as for me, I my website, juliaserrano.com, particularly if you go to the writings page there, I have like literally links to everything I've written online over the years. So it's kind of a clearinghouse of free writings of mine. There are also links to my books there. And then if you're looking for me on social media, I'm at Julia Serrano on most platforms that I'm at. I don't know how much stronger I can possibly recommend reading Whipping Girl. It had, I don't know, it, it had an enormous impact on me when I first read it. And yeah, it will it will it will do good things for you if you read it too. Um, yeah, and it, it's all still incredibly relevant. Like I I yeah I was breezing through like fifty pages just to refresh my memory this morning, and I'm like, oh wow, so many of the like intercommunity trans discourses that are constantly happening <laughs> have already been addressed like twenty years ago. So many of like I <laughs> all the time I spend trying to write about like uh trans misogyny and like oh I. <laughs> 
I forgot this is already like all like written down. Like I, I, sp I spent so long <laughs> writing about the Daily Wire movie and like, oh, this is already <laughs> all this work's already been done. I can just like stop. <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah, cannot cannot recommend enough. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you all for the kind words. Yeah, thank you for having me, and uh, it was great. And thanks yeah. for all you do too. Oh, thank you. <laughs>